You got your Bibles open up to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Back in December, Cindy and I took a flight out to California to see our oldest son, uh, Josiah, and his wife, Leanne, and three grandkids, uh, Noah, Margaret, and Jack. And um, as we flew out there, I brought along John Eldridge's book, Resilient. And a lot of times in my past, uh, when I've been flying, I've found myself in an especially open place for fresh revelation. I don't know if it's because you're 38, 39,000 feet up in the air or whatever, but it just seems like many, many times when I'm flying, the Lord shows me things, reveals things to me that I hadn't been able to see when I was stuck down at ground level. And this flight was one of those. This trip was like that. So I was reading through Resilient. There were several things speaking to me in that book, but then some other revelatory thoughts started popping. And, and uh, all of a sudden I'm typing into my phone and Cindy's like, what are you typing? I said, I, it's the lyrics for, I think, a new song. I haven't, haven't even gone to find it yet, but I got all the lyrics for it. And then and then another song, and another song, another song, and I got a whole midweek refreshing worth of songs, which is 10 or 11 songs just right in a row, just happening, coming to me. And then the focal point of the clean hands and a pure heart message that we finished 22 with and started 23, uh, it just crystallized my thought, oh, that's the word for that that's weekend. That's how we end the year and start the year. And then right after that, three separate teaching ideas for perfecting holiness, this series that I've been teaching this month. It's like, bing, 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 bing. That's, that's the first one. That's the second one. That's the third one. It's like, wow, on one flight on December 7th, I got a download plan for four weekends of January. It's like, wow, that was amazing. Now, originally I had a different idea uh, for this weekend, but when it didn't materialize, as I left the office a few Fridays ago, I just casually mentioned to Brent as I was leaving, maybe there's one more message in the series. Well, around 3 a.m. the next morning, I was awakened with a clear answer. The whole point of us being serious about perfecting holiness is because God is raising up a bride that will be equally yoked Amen. to his son. Amen. And so we're to be working at perfecting holiness like a bride made ready. Well, for me, it was like an aha moment followed quickly by a, of course, duh. I mean, why didn't you see that? Why didn't you see that from the beginning? But this idea really started stirring in my spirit, and I started having this thought and that thought and that thought. My mind was buzzing. It took a long time uh, to get back to sleep uh, that night. 2 Corinthians 7.1 calls each of us to purify, cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness, doing the work, and living a consecrated life set apart for God's purpose out of reverence for God. And again, this holiness is a noun. It's not a verb. It's how God sees us on the other side of our salvation and how he wants us to see ourselves. By the mercy and grace of God and by the power of Jesus' love and blood, people like us can be made holy. That is a radical thought. We all know our past. We all know the things we've done. We, we know the things that we wish had never happened, things done to us, things we've done. We know all of that. But by the mercy and grace of God and by the power of Jesus' love and blood, we can be made holy. And once we're born again, it's on us to work out that holiness so that it's not just a deposit that's been put inside of us. Our holiness is meant to be repeatedly reflected in the things that are revealed by our character and by how we show up in the world every day. And to get that done the most effectively, we need to keep embracing and participating in the perfecting process. So a manifest holiness will be revealed in our daily lives. There's some immediate rewards and benefits for living like that now. And at the same time, we're also engaging in an essential part of the preparation for a day to come. The great 
wedding supper of the Lamb. That marks the end of life as we know it and the start of eternity to come. Revelation 19, verse 5. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, you servants, you who fear him, both small and great. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters, like peals of, uh, loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Near the end of the revelatory downloads John received and wrote about throughout the whole book of Revelation, he saw the wedding of Jesus, the Lamb, and his bride, the church. Chapter 19 begins with the victorious roar of a great multitude in heaven because of the fall, defeat, and destruction of the corruption and immorality of the ways of the world. God's final judgment of the nations was finally rendered and accomplished, and in response, the 24 elders and the four living creatures joined in the worship, adding in their own, amen, hallelujah. And then a voice from the throne called for another wave of worship from all of God's servants. That word servants <coughs> is the word for bond slave. <clears throat> and that word bond slave means people who are living out the not my will, but yours be done lifestyle. In an immediate response, another shout broke forth that John described as sounding like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder. And if there was thunder, there was probably lightning. So this was a full-blown surround sound worship experience because the wedding celebration of the Lamb had come and because his bride had made herself ready. And we're probably all familiar with the variety of ways a bride prepares for her wedding. We've done two of those now. We still have one to go. You know, there's the dress that must be scouted out and carefully chosen. There's the veil, the bouquet, the wedding party, the venue, the caterer, the invitation. It's a pretty overwhelming list of things to get done for a wedding. Well, guess what? We are part of the bride of Christ. And as part of the bride of Christ, we're not just supposed to be sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back. Instead, we're to be fully involved in all that goes with making ourselves ready for that day. Some of the ways the church uh, makes ourselves ready includes participating in the open mandate for each of us to be answers to Jesus' prayer from John 17. We can do it by pursuing continual growth in our experiential knowledge of God. Listen, don't be satisfied with just knowing facts about God. Don't be satisfied with just knowing things about God. God wants us to know Him and to be known by Him. Uh, there, there are a lot of people who are going to spend eternity in heaven that don't believe God is still healing people today. And so guess what? In their life, in their life, they're not seeing people healed. But we know he's still healing people today. We have that experience. So someone can tell me he's not doing that anymore, but I know better because I've seen him do it. There's some people that thinks when the, uh, when the Bible was finished, God quit speaking. Well, I know better. I know he's still speaking and still telling us. There's so many things, but the reason I know it is not because I've just heard stories about it, it's because I've experienced it. And what God wants for all of us in these days, as a bride, like a bride being made ready, is that our experiential knowledge of him continues to grow to the place where we move as one with him. Another thing we can do is keep cultivating and increasing faithfulness to be people of the word, as well as people of prayer. Uh, we can do it by consistently living as sent ones. 
We are God's witnesses who are to live and share and preach and demonstrate and walk out being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We can do it by purposely finding ways to build and grow in unity with other believers. Such a powerful thing. in, In my life, I've been blessed to do a lot of different things, March for Jesus, National Day of Prayer. I've worked with ministerial alliances and And one of the challenging things about the body of Christ is it can be so divided. What we agree about, if we can agree about who Jesus is, that's our place of unity. And if we agree about who Jesus is, we're on the same team. We we are together, whether we know it or not. And for some people, that's hard because for some people, if you don't agree about everything else they believe past that, then you're doing something different or you're wrong or whatever. But as we keep working towards ways to practically demonstrate we are one as a group of people crossing the streams, Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, Lutheran, Presbyterian, you know, just non-denominational, Bible, crossing the streams with our brothers and sisters, doing things together that demonstrate that God is alive and well. There's something powerful that happens in the spirit and we are part of the bride being made ready for that day. Another thing we can do is we can be more adept receivers and distributors of Jesus's love throughout our everyday life encounters. Listen, he, we've been singing about his love this morning. You've heard testimonies about his love this morning. His love is extravagant. It's released on us and it's not meant to be hoarded inside ourselves. His love is poured into us because we need it. It's perfect. It drives fear out of us, but then we're supposed to give it away. And I want to tell you that I really do believe that there's nobody that comes across your path any day of the week just by accident. And as we open up our eyes and we open up our ears, we're going to see people coming across our path, some that we know, some that we don't know, that just need to be loved on, that just need somebody to express some love to them. It could be as simple as uh, opening the door for them as they go into the store, that person behind, your li- behind you in the drive through line say, well, I'm just going to go ahead and take care of theirs too. I mean, it's just simple things like that that demonstrate that God cares and loves, and we are supposed to get better and better and better at that. And as we do, we are preparing ourselves like a bride being made ready for the return of the Lord. Take a look at this picture. That's our three-year-old granddaughter, Nellie. And uh, not too long ago, she tried on her mom's wedding dress. And I already had some thoughts ruminating in my spirit for this message when this picture came through. And when it did, I mean, of course, it made us smile, but then I felt the smile of God on it. And I felt like he said, this is us. This is a picture of us. None of us know how long it will be before Jesus comes back and the spirit and the bride say, come Lord Jesus, come. But I actually think it's a good process to go ahead and try the dress on for size. And to recognize, you know, we got a little room to grow into this thing. We're we're not quite already filling this one out because it inspires us to keep doing the work, to keep perfecting the holiness so that we'll grow up and be ready to, to be fit in that dress when that day comes. I think it's totally legit to try it on for size. I also think with confidence that none of us have perfected the holiness thing yet because if you had, you wouldn't still be here. That you woke up breathing this morning tells me that you, like me, still has more to do in the perfecting holiness process. And every day that happens, there's more work for us to do. And so the Holy Spirit is trying to just inspire us to keep involved, stay in the work. And and I think as we kind of try on the dress, it's a good spiritual practice to begin imagining, thinking about, and longing for that wedding day to come. Verse 8, fine linen, 
bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. The Amplified says, she has been permitted to dress in fine, radiant linen, dazzling and white. For the fine linen signifies, is, and represents the righteousness, the upright, just, and godly living deeds and conduct and right standing with God of the saints, God's holy people. She has been permitted to dress in fine, radiant linen. We, we know that in and of ourselves, we don't deserve to be dressed in white. But God. But God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. In Ephesians 2, Paul wrote, It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing. We felt like doing it. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Perfecting holiness does involve doing the work. Perfecting holiness does involve living a life consecrated and set apart for God's purposes out of reverence for God. But all of our righteous deeds added together are never and would never be enough to merit our salvation. They are, however, a fitting and appropriate response. And they should be often on display evidences of our salvation. In Isaiah 62, it says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. 1 Peter 2 says, friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourself cozy in it. Abstain from sinful desires that war against your soul. Live exemplary lives, good and beautiful lives, filled and overflowing with good and beautiful deeds. Righteous deeds do not save us, but they are a clear indication of a changed heart and a changed life. And they're also vital to the process of continuing to work out our salvation. If there's no obvious evidence to demonstrate that we are a follower and disciple of Jesus, perhaps we're not following. Perhaps we're just observing. In perfecting holiness like a bride made ready, what are some of the obvious evidence that qualify as the fine linen, the righteous acts of the saints? It starts with us choosing to surrender the control of our lives to Jesus. And most of the time in a gathering like this church meeting, pretty much everybody here has already done that. But if you found your way into here this morning and all this that we've been singing about and you've been witnessing and experiencing, you still, you saw Chris getting baptized this morning and you haven't done that, you haven't given your life to Christ yet, today's the day. 
Nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. You're not even guaranteed this afternoon. But you're here in this moment, and God is in this moment. And it starts with surrendering the control of your life to Jesus. When When I officiate a wedding and we get to the vows part, I prefer to have the groom and the bride say, I choose you as my wife, as my husband, rather than the traditional, I take you. Because a marriage covenant is a covenant relation that starts with a choice and it stays healthy by reaffirming that choice as well as the connection that that choice makes over and over again in a sundry of intentional and purposeful ways. We all come into salvation with varying degrees of brokenness. And so another part of perfecting holiness, like a bride made ready, is learning how to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and with all of our strength. And that can be a process that can require different levels of inner healing and deliverance and and just time in the word and time in prayer. It's not usually a one-step thing. It's it's an unlayering. And the deeper you've been wounded, sometimes the more it takes because God will get us to a place. He'll let us walk that out. And then he'll take us to another place and let us walk that out. And he just increases the sphere of our grace. But this business of making ourselves and loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength is a journey, is a process. Throughout the Bible, God is shown to be relentlessly pursuing that kind of intimate love relationship with people like us. Chapter three of his book, Keep Your Love On, Danny Silk wrote, God's number one goal with us is connection. And nothing, neither pain or death, will prevent him from moving toward us and responding to us. His perfect love for us is absolutely fearless. God is continually moving toward us in love. And God's heart is for us to do the same toward him with an absolute fearlessness to just keep moving toward him, to keep stepping into the things that he has prepared for us. In this world, there are so many things that vie for the attentions and the affections of our heart. And what we give those attentions and affections to reveal what and or who we really, truly love. So like a bride made ready, we need to keep fine-tuning We were giving the attentions and the affections of our heart in order to establish an increasing and deepening love solely for Jesus. As we perfect our holiness by staying in the river, by refusing to turn back, by choosing to be shepherded, all of these things Jesus kind of talked about and described as remaining in him or abiding in him. As we do those things, we'll find ourselves being rooted and established in God's love And that will shape our priorities in our heart. Now, it's relatively easy to say, I love God. It's another issue to walk that love out and do it with an undivided heart. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't worship the true God while enslaved to the God of money. One of the clearest ways to test who we love the most, God or money, is revealed by what we do about tithing. So many professing believers come up with their own reasons and justifications not to tithe. Ah, well, that's an Old Testament thing that's not relevant today. Okay, well, you're going to do that with the Ten Commandments too? Some people people are like, well, I just put cash in. I I don't want to put my name on it because I don't want the right hand to know what the left hand is doing. My experience is people who do that actually don't want to be accountable for knowing that they've given the 10%. And 
And one of the things when you put your name on something, it's not about your name being on it, but you get to the end of the year and a record comes to you. And we're in that season right now where our taxes are happening. And you can see how much money you earn this year. And you can see is at least 10% of that been given in the tithe. You'll just see it right away. It's clear as day, just like that. It's not about having your name on it. It's about being accountable to yourself and to the Lord for returning that first 10%, which belongs to him. God himself said, when we don't, we are stealing from him. And ultimately, listen, ultimately, you got to work that out between, between God and you. you got to work that out with him. But practicing the simple spiritual discipline of returning the tithe to God affirms, strengthens the primacy of our love and our trust in God. He said, he said, test me in this and see. And I, I challenge you to take him at his word and watch and see what he will do. During the last few days of uh, his earthly ministry, Jesus pulled his disciples away for some private teaching and they were up on the Mount of Olives. And one of the things he shared with them was a parable comparing the coming of his kingdom to a wedding for which we must be prepared. This is from Matthew 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 maidens who took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the maidens woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. So instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. And the maidens who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, be vigilant, because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, there's a whole lot of things in a lot of directions you could go in that, but I want to take it to this. Part of perfecting holiness like a bride made ready relates to living with an expectancy and a readiness. And Jesus' parable is about expectancy with two different levels of, re- of readiness. The bridegroom was delayed, which is a fairly common thing in that day. And even now, we are living in a similar delay as we await Jesus, the bridegroom's return. The difference between the wise and the foolish in this parable was the decision of the wise to bring their lamps as well as some oil in jars. Now, throughout the Bible, oil is often a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And so in addition to carrying our lamps, being the light of the world that we are called to be, we'd also be wise to keep oil in our lamps. We live in a unique window of opportunity right now where we can have an advancing relationship and an awareness of the Holy Spirit. And part of perfecting holiness like a bride made ready happens day by day as we choose to live led by and in step with the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew better than we do how much we need the Holy Spirit between the time he ascended to the Father and the time the Father sends him back. The Holy Spirit is the counselor, the encourager, the comforter, the teacher we need to guide us into all truth. And remember, truth has a name, and the name is Jesus. Jesus declared himself to be the way, the truth, 
and the life. And the Holy Spirit is the comforter, the counselor, the encourager, the teacher who guides us into Jesus. The Holy Spirit still speaks today. Now listen, there, there's a percentage of people that will spend eternity in heaven with it that don't believe that to their loss. The Holy Spirit still speaks today. I've known people who've heard the audible voice of God. But more often than not, it's a thought. It's an impression. It just comes out of nowhere. One of the kind of the strange things I've found about it is it often sounds like my voice, which can be kind of weird, except that when I look at it and process what was said, it's like, I would, that's so much better than I would have ever said anything. I don't even use those words or that vocabulary. That's a God thing. That is God speaking to me. Um, the, the word speaks about him being a whisper in our ear. This is the way, walk in it. There's so many times that he speaks to us like that. He's constantly speaking. We just need ears to hear. Now, in addition to him speaking to us, one of the other things he loves to speak to us about is things to come. He reveals to us things to come. Now, in the early days, when I was first getting introduced to the Holy Spirit, though I'd grown up in the church my whole life, I was in my 20s before I met the Holy Spirit. And it just started changing everything. And I was so excited and all of that. And, and so in the early days, I mean, for me, it was like when I'd hear the Holy Spirit, it was like he said it, I did it. Boom, I was right on it. And uh, Cindy and I had a, uh, were new in our marriage and we had a little boy. And uh, we started hearing in our spirit about living in community, living in community. And uh, one thing led to another and we had a couple of friends. And the next thing we knew, we moved out of this perfect, sweet little house that we were living in, this neighborhood with great neighbors, and we moved into a big 3,000-square-foot house with two other families and a single girl. Now, we all had our own space, but it was complicated. In the process of talking about it and getting there, we talked to our parents and different spiritual leaders in our church, and across the board, every one of them said, that's not a good idea. We don't think that's God. To which I thought, they're just not as spiritual as me or they'd be hearing the same thing that I was hearing. The Holy Spirit's told me community. I know that's what, it, and I'm not gonna be held back by these unbelieving people who don't have the same faith as I do. Well, a year later, a year later, the Lord moved us to the Philippines and we lived in the Philippine Refugee Processing Center for two years in the midst of 12,000 refugees and several hundred staff people from all over the world, and, and literally our house was in the middle of camp, the speed bump right in front, with one room in the little house that we lived in that everybody couldn't just hear in because the windows were open all the time. We were living in community. See, but we, we'd heard it, and, and I just jumped on it right away. Since then, here's what I found. I think many times the Holy Spirit speaks to us and reveals to us things to come, not because we're supposed to do it tomorrow, but he's setting something out there for us to look at. And, and he's putting it out there for us so that as we start making daily choices and decisions, it's like, okay, does this choice line up with what he said, where he said I'm going? Is this consistent with that? And if it's not, I don't want any part of it. But if it is, if this, yeah, this could be getting me, then that helps me know what to do. And so I just want to encourage you, the Holy Spirit's still speaking today and he reveals things to come. If it's a dire emergency, sometimes it's like, stop right now to keep you from danger. But more often than not, when he's revealing things to come, there's a timing. In the kingdom, timing is everything. And it's best to be right in time with him. So when you get that, write it down, mark it down, keep it before the Lord. But let it be that thing that keeps bringing your compass back to middle, that helps you refine the decisions that you're making 
as you move forward and walk with the Lord. The level of our ongoing relationship, communication with, and understanding of the Holy Spirit will either stimulate or weaken our preparation as we live out the wait like a bride made ready. Jesus promised in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Even now, Jesus is overseeing that heavenly preparation. And meanwhile, we're called to be busy about our own preparation for that day. Here's a few more ways we can do that. We can do that by living with an awake spirit, not being asleep in the light, but being and staying watchful and alert. We can do it by living a set apart, above reproach lifestyle that honors Jesus in his ways. We can do it by doing the good works every day that God prepares in us advance to do with him. We can do it by faithfully running and finishing the race he laid out for us and running that with perseverance and with our eyes fixed on Jesus. We can do it by letting our light shine before others in ways that bring glory to God, but also invite them into a salvation relationship like we know. It should be that when people see us and see the way we are and see the way they act, they they don't go, you're a Christian? It should be, oh, you're a Christian. I got to have what you've got. Because the joy and the peace and the life and that that's in you, I've got to have that. I don't need that. I've got to have that. And that's one of the ways that we can work at perfecting and holiness like a bride made ready is living like that. A distinguishing mark of being part of the remnant, the true true church, as opposed to those who are just merely professing Christianity, is living with a constant expectancy and readiness for hearing that shout. Here's the bridegroom come out and meet him. One, one more thought here. This life is not all there is. The truth is as precious as every breath of this life is, we're really living for the next life, for eternity in heaven with Jesus. And I believe that in heaven, the choices we make here and now translate into different levels of rewards and responsibilities there. So it's essential for us to keep growing in faith, hope, and love every day. The choices we make now ripple through eternity. And in a very real sense, the choices we make now are preparation for a much greater stewardship in heaven. Revelation 19, verse 9. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who were invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. The angel's words are given in a beatitude style promise to believers who will eventually come from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Blessed indeed. The Amplified says, blessed, happy, and to be envied are those who are summoned, invited, and called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The pure word says, spiritually blessed are those who are being made called. Being made called sounds a lot like perfecting holiness to me. We are being made called for that day that Jesus said he was looking forward to when he shared with his disciples what we call the Last Supper. It's from Matthew 26. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to him saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. 
Another way of perfecting holiness like a bride made ready happens each time we partake of Lord's Supper communion. It's not just a religious ritual. It's an experience and an expression of a common union that we have with Christ. Communion is a reminder of Jesus' sacrificial death, but it's also a looking ahead to his return. So it's both a memorial and a prophetic act. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul wrote, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So with that in mind, it's only fitting that we finish this series and, and this service by taking the Lord's Supper communion together. Last Sunday night, after uh, having shared communion with his family out in California, uh, our four-year-old grandson, Jack, asked his dad, uh, our son Josiah, our old son Josiah, how come only churches get samples of God's blood? How come only churches get samples of God's blood? Now, that's a fresh perspective of a Costco-raised kid, right? But it's also one of those out-of-the-mouths-of-babes moments. Only churches get samples because another dynamic of this spiritual exercise that it's meant to be a profession of our faith each time we partake of it. We truly are blessed to be invited to partake of this reminder of such extravagant love as well as a taste of things to come. Just before we share Lord's Supper community, let me share a verse in a chorus from the song, Even So Come. All of creation, all of the earth, make straight a highway, a path for the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Call back the sinner, wake up the saint, let every nation shout of your fame. Jesus is coming soon. Like a bride waiting for a groom. We'll be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for our King, we sing, even so come, Lord Jesus, come. Even so come, Lord Jesus, come. Why don't you stand together with me? Father, we thank you that you have called us to be part of the bride of Christ. We thank you that you've chosen us and set us apart. And we thank you, Lord, that we've heard you and said yes to you. Thank you for what you're working in us, Lord. I pray that you would just keep uh, stirring within us the desire to perfect the holiness that you have deposited in us, that our life and our light and all that we are would show up in ways that bring you honor, that bring you glory, that uh, conform us more and more and more into the image of Jesus and that transform us by the renewing of our mind so that we show up on this planet in a way that brings you honor and glory and so that we're ready when Jesus returns. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. More, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. Peel back that first layer of the communion cup there and take that wafer. This is a reminder of the body of Jesus that was broken for us. He was beaten beyond recognition for our sin. He paid the price we could have never paid on our own. And he did it willingly for the joy that was set before him. And that joy set before him is the wedding supper of the Lamb and all that comes after that. The word says, whenever we eat this bread, we should do it in remembrance of him. Now peel back that second. This is a reminder of the blood of Jesus that was shed. That blood is so much power 
There's healing in the blood. There's freedom in the blood. There's forgiveness in the blood. There's life in the blood. His blood opens access for us to come to him any time of the day or night. We are welcome in the presence of God and he meets us with his mercy and his grace because Jesus shed his blood on the cross for us. But not only is this a reminder of the price he paid, it's an invitation and a reminder of a day to come when the bride of Christ will celebrate with the lamb the wedding supper. Drink this this morning in remembrance of him. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. Jesus, we love you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bless you with the promises of God, which are yea and amen. Be blessed with supernatural strength to turn your eyes from worthless and evil things. And instead, may you behold the wonderful things that God has planned for you. I bless your ears to hear and your eyes to see and your spirit to understand the wonders of our God. May your feet and your hands be ever outstretched to help those in need. God's grace be upon your home. May God give you success and prosperity in your places of labor. May God give you spiritual strength to overcome the evil one and avoid temptation. God's grace be upon you to fulfill your dreams and visions. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you grace and peace. May his mercy and his goodness follow you all the days of your life. And I bless you, I bless you, I bless you, I bless you. In the name above all names, in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.